All right, how many of you brought your Bible this morning? You are going to be glad you come to church this morning for this reason. I have got to leave by 10 minutes to 11 o'clock. So you're going to get out of church early today. Now, don't you get used to getting out of here at 10 minutes to 11 on Sunday morning because that ain't going to happen. We know that. But I've got to go. One of our preacher boys is celebrating a special day at his church, and his wife sent a note asking me to come and preach today. And if it had been him, I'd have said no, but you can't say no to the preacher's wife because she's packing heat, and she'll take you out of here. And my wife is. So you don't say no to the preacher's wife. So I've got to get the other side of High Point by 11.30, so uh, i got to get you all out of here, all right? So I'm really glad you come to church now. Yeah, I thought, put those hands down. All right, let's open our Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7 this morning. Matthew, chapter 7, I'm going to throw this thing up into high gear, and if you'll listen fast, I'm going to try to preach fast, and we'll try to wind up at the same place here in just a few minutes. Matthew, chapter number 7, page number 1004, if you have an old Schofield Bible. Now, if you don't have a Bible, if you'll look up on the screens here in just a moment, we'll put the uh, Scripture up for us this morning. Matthew, chapter number 7, 1004, don't forget the service this afternoon at 5.30. I hope you'll be back uh, for the service again this afternoon. We're so glad again to have all of our visitors with us this morning. If this is the first time you've ever been to Woodland, our little saying around here is this, you're not just welcome, you're wanted. And so I hope you'll come back and be with us again real soon. All right, Matthew chapter 7, if you're there, would you say amen? All right, look this way if you will. In fact, look up on the screens if you will this morning. What that is, is, if you can see it good, that is a picture of an intersection. But let me just tell you something, that's not just any intersection. Fellas, leave that up, if you will, for just a moment. What you're looking at, according to the National Highway Safety Administration, is the most dangerous intersection in all of the United States of America. That intersection right there has been proven to be the most dangerous intersection in our country. And here's the thing, that intersection that you're looking at is not New York City. It's not in Los Angeles, California. It's not in Chicago, and it's not in Washington, D.C. That intersection that you're looking at this morning is in a place, kind of an out-of-the-way out place, called Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. Population, 60,370. That intersection is, in that town is at the intersection of Night Road and Street Road. And according to the traffic audit done by the NHSA, in the last two years, there have been 144 crashes resulting in either the deaths or the injury of 170 people. I mean, think about that. In two years, 144 car wrecks at that intersection. 170 people either killed or have been injured. The problem, they say, with that intersection is, number one, poor signage. Number two, dim lighting. Number three, confusing sidewalks. And number four, like me, just plain old everyday aggressive drivers and a bunch of jaywalkers. And that is... According to them, the most dangerous intersection in our nation. By the way, uh, they did a list of the top 10 intersections, most dangerous intersections in our nation, and one of them happens to be right here in the state of North Carolina. That's right. That roundabout right out there. I told them not to put that thing in. Somebody's going to get killed in that. No, I'm kidding. It's up in the state, of, uh, up in the city of Asheville at the intersection of Patton Avenue and, and New Leicester Highway. But with all due respect to the NHSA, I want to tell you this morning that... 
that and in Asheville, those are not the most dangerous intersections in the world. For some time now, we have been in a series of messages from the Gospel of Matthew. And we're now all the way up to Matthew chapter number 7. And we're in what is known in Scripture as the Sermon on the Mount. It is without doubt the greatest sermon that's ever been preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. And as the Lord Jesus closes this sermon, he does so by giving us a series of contrast. Now let me explain that to you. As Jesus brings this sermon to a conclusion and then gives the invitation, he does so by showing us the difference between things. For instance, in these verses, in verse 15 and following, he tells us about the difference between uh, the two types of prophets. There are false prophets and there are true prophets. He calls our attention in these verses to two types, two types of trees. They're good trees and corrupt trees. He calls our attention to two different types of fruit, good, good fruit and evil fruit. And then as he brings the message to a close, he does so by talking about two types of builders, two types of houses, and two types of foundations, and the difference that they make in the lives of those of us who build their own. But before the Lord Jesus starts talking about trees, and before he's starts talking about fruit and prophets and houses, he first of all draws a contrast between the two types of highways that people travel upon. And let me just stop and say before I read the verses, everybody in this room listening on the radio, watching on live stream, everybody is on one of these two highways. So with that being said, let me stop now. Let, let me read to you verse 13 and verse 14, and then if you will, leave your Bible open and let's look, work through this. Look at verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. You know, one of the things that you have to love about the Lord Jesus is this. He, didn't, he did not mince words. He didn't care anything about being politically correct. He wasn't interested in making everybody happy, and he sure wasn't interested in making everybody feel like they they were right. You know, in our world today, we've got something called political correctness. And if you dare tell somebody, hey, you're wrong, I mean, about the most terrible thing we can be called in our day today is to be called intolerant. We're looked at as being intolerant or bigoted because there is no truth anymore. What everybody believes is right in their own sight, and it's just as true as what anybody else believes. I'm for tolerance as it used to mean. I'm not for tolerance as it means in our day. And the Lord Jesus didn't care who he ruffled. He didn't care about the, whose apple cart he may have upset. He simply says in our text, there are two roads. Everybody is on one of two roads. One is the high road that leads to heaven and the other one is the low road that leads to hell. Now with that being said, I want, I want to point out from this little simple text this morning, I want to point out three great truths that we find from this story that Jesus told about two roads and an intersection that connects them both. So let's begin this morning by talking about three things. First of all, in this text, number one, we find this, a fundamental division. A fundamental division. Now let me stop and tell you this. As of this past Thursday morning at 11 o'clock, you can check me out on it, but as of 11 o'clock this past Thursday morning, there were in the world 7,818,708,550 people on 
the earth as of Thursday morning at 11 o'clock. That's almost 7.9 billion people. In our own nation, as of this past Thursday morning at 11 o'clock, there were 331 million of us, 574,566 people. By the way, that's the legal ones. There ain't no telling how many legal ones are here. But we know that there's 331 million of us in the United States of America. Now, of course, we, humanity, divides that 7.9 billion, that 331 uh, million of us, they divide them into a number of different categories. We classify, classify people in a variety of ways. For instance, we say, okay, 33, uh, three, 332 million people in America. Some of them are blue-collar. Some of them are white-collar. And some of them don't even have a collar. We say there's Democrats and Republicans and Independents. There are the millennial generation. And may God have mercy on the millennial generation. There's the millennial generation, the X generation, the baby boomers, and the great generation. One of the things that we're going to be hearing a lot about in these next couple of weeks is blue states and red states. Then when it comes to the sports world, we divide people into categories. There's the Red Sox fans, the Yankee fans, and then there's everybody else. Then in ACC basketball, there's the Tar Heel and the Blue, and the Blue Devils, and then those that don't matter. We, cl <laughs> we classify people in a... I done made some of y'all so mad right now. You're madder over what I just said than that song he just sang about just a moment ago. We divide people in a variety of groups and fashions. But the Lord Jesus did none of that. He simply takes the whole of humanity, 7.9 billion people, all of the United States of America, 331 million plus of us, and he says, okay, there's not many categories, there's only two. There are only two classifications of people alive on this world today. And if you'll look at verse 13, he says, there are the many and then in verse number 14, he says, there are the few. Now, Jesus said, hey, let's just cut the chase. There's not numerous groups. There's only two groups. And everybody in this world is either in that group called the many or they're in that group called the few. The many are traveling down one road and the few are going along the other road. Now, who are the many and who are the few? Well, let's talk about that for just a moment. Talking about this division this morning, who are the many? Not Democrats, Republicans, Tar Heels, Blue Devils. The many, the few, the many and the few. And everybody is in one of those two groups. First of all, the many. The many are the people who have refused the Lord Jesus. Now, that becomes very clear as we work our way through this story. The many are those who have rejected Jesus as their Savior. They have said no to the King. And just let me say this, in that many group are a lot of little groups that make up that one many group. For instance, I could say, you know, the depraved people, they're in the many group. When I talk about depraved people, you know, I'm talking about people who have totally given themselves over to the devil and to sin and to evil. Now, in our day, we hear a lot about murderers and molesters, and we hear a lot about rapists and robbers and drunkards and drug users. We think 
think about the pornographers and the, and the pedophiles. And by the way, when, I, when I'm right here on pornography, can I just stop and say this? Not everybody who looks at pornography is a sexual deviant, but can I stop and say that every sexual deviant looks at pornography? Can I have an amen right there? I'm telling you, we ought to be against that garbage that's being peddled in our society like never before. I'm telling you, since the day that Manhattan Island was sold for five bucks, has there never been so much dirt so sale, for sale for so little price in America? I'm talking about depraved people. I'm talking about addictions and abusers. They are the depraved. They make up that mini group. But can I not only say not only are they depraved in that group, but can I say number two, the decent people are in that group. You know what I'm talking about? Decent people. I'm talking about good moral, decent, upright people. People who pay their bills and love their families. Honest people, hardworking people, good neighbors, good citizens, members of churches and lodges and, and, and civil clubs. Decent people, depraved people, decent people. What about this? Deceived people. Or make up that mini group. You know, uh, people who are headed in the wrong direction, but they think they're heading in the right direction. Our world is full of people who think, they believe, hey, I'm heading in the right direction, only to find in reality they're moving in the wrong direction. You know, our Bible constantly cautions us about don't be deceived. Man, don't be tricked. Don't be deceived. Don't think wrong. We're constantly told throughout the Bible we're warned not to be deceived. For instance, look at Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way. Let me use New Testament terminology. There is a road which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There's another verse that says this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. There's another verse that says this, uh, there is a generation that are pure in their own eyes, but they're not washed from their filthiness. You know what that cautions us to do? Hey, check up. Be sure that you don't think, that I don't think I'm on the right road, when in reality I'm heading down the wrong road. Be careful. Don't be deceived. Hey, can I stop and tell you this? As Jesus brought this sermon to a close, he warned people not to be deceived. Look over in Matthew 7 verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me, there's that word again, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Here's this crowd thinking they're going down the right road only to find at death and judgment day they were headed down the wrong road. I'm telling you in that many crowd are depraved people. In that many crowd are decent people. In that many crowd are deceived people. If you're here this morning and you're on the wrong road, thank God at the close of this service we're going to give you an invitation to get off the wrong road and Get on the right road this morning. That man, the many, those who have rejected Jesus. But then there's the few. Look again at verse 14. We find the word few. There's the few. Now that becomes very clear at the end of the story that these few people are the people who have received Jesus. They have accepted the payment that he made for our sins. And we read that, the few that be that find it. Now don't, don't read that and think, oh my goodness, there's just a handful on, us, on this earth that are really on the right road. I really think, I think, of course, I told you a moment ago, there's 7.9 billion people on the earth. And out of that 7.9 billion people, 2.1 billion people on this earth say that they're Christians. 
Now, of course, we know that includes the Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses, and all the other, all the other things in this world. And we know, I think we know, there's not 2.1 billion Christians on this earth. By the way, I read this this week. This is scary. Right behind us now on the heels of Christianity is Islamists. They're at 1.9 billion people on the earth. We're in trouble, friend. God's people better start telling people about Jesus again or this crowd's going to run us over and take over control of this place. Amen and amen. You don't have to say it. I'll say it myself. Amen. Well, as we think about that, as we think about this few, I think what the Lord is telling us is, hey, there's more than just a, just a handful of people on this earth that are saved. But in comparison to the crowd that's not saved, it just looks like a few. If what Jesus said is true, and it is, then in this text, Jesus said there's more people that's headed to hell than there are heading to heaven. Am I right? Jesus said many are going that way, but only few are going that way. More people are headed to hell in this world than they are headed to heaven. But I just want to say this morning, I'm glad to be a part of the few. I'm glad to be washed in the blood. I'm glad to be born again. I'm glad to be spirit and dwelt. I'm glad to be a Bible believer, gun carrying, red flag waving, American, born again, child of the living God. I'm glad to be in the few this morning. There is a division. Now everybody in this room, you're either in that many crowd or you're in that few crowd. Everybody, can I have an amen? There is a fundamental division. Number two, watch this. Not only is there a fundamental division, but number two, we find there is an eternal destination. Now, unless you may be sitting here this morning and say, Preacher, really, it really don't matter what road I'm on. And preacher, I just want to tell you, really, preacher, I love you, but ain't none of your business which road I'm on. Why does it make a big deal of a difference which road I'm traveling? Well, can I tell you this? There is an eternity's worth of difference on which road you're traveling. You see, we find that this difference is seen in the destination of these two roads. You see, we're told that one of these roads is going to lead down the road to destruction, while we're told the other road is going to lead down the road to life. These roads, whatever road you own, does make a difference. Back up in verse 13, we think about that broad road with the many that are on it. And we understand that the broad way, the broad road that Jesus speaks about leads to a tragic end. A tragic end. Notice in verse 13, it says this, you're on the broad road, your ultimate goal is destruction. The word means ruin or it means loss. At the end of the road for all those who travel, this broad road is ruin and lost. A ruined life, but more tragic than that, a lost soul, eternally separated from God in a place called hell forever. Understand that hell is not the loss of being, it's the loss of well-being. Hell is not the place where you cease, it's a, ce it's a place where you cease to be well. Hell is not the end of living, it's the end of all enjoyable living. Listen, friend, if you're on the wrong road, thank God he can allow you, will allow you to get on the right road today. At the end of the wrong road is nothing but sadness and tragedy. I read this week that in New York City, it's amazing, but in New York City, inside the city, there are 8 million cats and 11 million dogs inside the city of New York. Now, if you've ever been to New York, you know that it's basically just one big old place of concrete and steel. There's not a lot of grass. Not, not too many people have a yard in New York City. There's not a lot of grass. 
not a lot of acreage. Well, these people that have these pets, 8 million cats, 11 million dogs, when, they, when their dog dies, they can't do like we do down south. I mean, we just got in the backyard to dig a hole in the south. Our dog died a couple of years ago, and I went out on the hillside overlooking all the property, you know, and I, I want to pick her a good place. She can lay here and look around, you know. So I dug a hole. I buried my dog in the yard. You can't do that in New York City. You know why? Ain't no yards. So here's what the city said. The city offers to come around, and they'll pick up the carcass of your dead pet, and they'll dispose of it for $50. Well, I read about this lady this week. She came up with an ingen a genius idea. She's going to make money. She was going to top the city doing this, so she ran an ad in the paper. I'll pick up your, the carcass of your dead animal, and I'll dispose of it for $25. And how she went about that was really, it was genius. What she would do when she got a call, she would get an old ragtag suitcase. She'd go over to the house where the pet had died. And with great respect in front of the owner, she would take that pet up and she would place it in that suitcase. She would shut it up. And then she'd take the subway back home. Now, you know in New York City, there's a lot of robbers and a lot of thieves. Please wait till I get there. So she got on the subway and set that suitcase down, act like she wasn't paying no attention. Somebody would come along, just pick that suitcase up, take off running with it. Only to find out when they got home was a dead carcass of Fifi the cat or what's, what's the dog's name? Doggy. Doggy the dog. Now, what they thought was going to break them happy. Oh, you see them running home with that thing. It's heavy. They're running. Man, I can't. I, there's diamonds and jewels. Open it up. Dead dog in there. Can I tell you something? Those who are following the broad road are going to get to the end only to find out there's a dead dog in the suitcase. There's a dead cat in the suitcase. It is a place of destruction. Place of destruction. You don't want to go down the wrong road. But then we read about this other way, the narrow road, the few, and, and we find out that it ends in a thrilling life. Look at our text. Here's what the Bible said. Whereas the broad road leads down the road to destruction, we're told that this narrow road leads unto life. Leads unto life. In other words, Jesus said for those who travel this narrow road at the end of their life, their final destination is life eternal life. Somebody said, preacher, define eternal life. Let me give you, let me give you uh, the gamut's definition of eternal life. Eternal life is life without end in a land without end with a Lord without end. That's what eternal life is. Now, let me ask you a question. You want destruction? You want life. You want hell? You want heaven. You want a dead cat? Or you want... Whatever's waiting for us over there, horses and stuff. I mean, we got a choice that we have to make. Now, right up front, I got to tell you this. This one story that Jesus tells us here clears up once and for all that notion that's floating around in our society today that all roads lead to heaven. Boy, you hear that in our day, don't you? Somebody says, look, preacher, you go your way. I'm going to go my way. But ultimately... All roads lead to God. Not if what Jesus said is true. Jesus said there are roads that lead to destruction. There's one road, one road that leads unto life. 
You don't have to take, you say, preacher, that's your opinion. Don't take my word for it. But unto God, take the, the word of the Lord Jesus on that. Jesus said there's one road and one road only that leads unto life. And all the other roads lead to hell. So there's a fundamental division. There's an eternal destination. But it all climaxes with a personal decision. Now look, if you will, at the very first word of verse 13. It is the word enter. Enter. Enter ye in. Now I'm told that the tense of that word speaks of a definite and specific action on our part. In other words, enter in. Jesus is saying, I urge you to make the decision. Get off the wrong road and get on the right road. It's a decision that we have to make. You see, the truth be told, we're born on the wrong road. We're on the wrong road by default. We're on the wrong road. We have to make the decision then to get off the wrong road and to get on the right road. And that's, I'm calling, I'm appealing to you today. Make the decision. The road you're on, if you've never been saved, the road you're on is going to lead you to destruction. You say, but preacher, I'm sincere about my road. Wonderful. But you know something? Sincerity don't get you to heaven. So I say, well, I, 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 let's imagine this scenario. Suppose you say, I believe that one plus one is two. Well, I look at you and say, well, I believe that one plus one is three. You say, but preacher, you're wrong. No, I said, no, I'm sincere about it. I sincerely believe that one plus one equals three. Can I tell you what? I'm sincerely wrong. Sincerity don't get you there. You must be born again. I read this story on July 17th. Listen to this, I'm done. July 17th, 1938. There was this pilot by the name of Douglas Corrigan, and he took off from Brooklyn's Floyd Bennett Field. When he got on the airplane, here's what he carried with him. Two chocolate bars, two, two boxes of Fig, Fig Newton bars, a quart of water, and a United States map. And what he was going to do is, it had never been done before, he was going to fly from New York to Los Angeles, California. He was going to cross the United States in an airplane. And on that map, he had a whole way marked out, the route that he was going to take, how he was going to get there. And so he got in his plane with his chocolate bars, his Fig Newtons, his water, his mat, and he took a taxi, and he took off, and it was a terrible fog that morning in, at Brooklyn Field. Hazy, foggy, and he flew off into the distance, and he just disappeared out of sight. So I said, well, there he goes. And 28 hours later, he landed all right, but not in Los Angeles, California. He landed in Dublin, Ireland. True story. And from there on out, he was known as Wrong Way Corrigan. He took off thinking he was going one place and wound up in another place. Now, he really became an instant hero because he'd done what no one had ever done before and he did what nobody said could be done. He flew across the Atlantic Ocean. He did it. But for the rest of his life, they said, man, that's wrong way, Corrigan. I wonder this morning who's sitting in this building. You thought to yourself, I'm going this direction, when in reality, you're going in that direction. Because when it comes to heaven, when it comes to eternal life, when it comes to being right with God, at the end of life, at the end of life, listen to me now, 
There is a heaven and there is a hell. It is for sure there is a heaven. It is for sure there is a hell. But I'll tell you this, there's one thing that's for sure. You can't stay here. You can't stay here. I've had 20, I'll have 25 now, and I'm running under it, and thank God for it. But this week I'll probably, I'll, I'll have a 25th, my 25th funeral for this year. And I just look back over my list, and I keep a list of, of who all's died this year, and I've buried little babies. I've buried teenagers. I've buried older folks. I've buried some young people this year. I'm talking about people like in their 40s, 50s. The truth of the matter is there is a heaven and there is a hell, but what matters, I guess, as far as this life is concerned, you can't stay here. You're either going to go to heaven or hell, but you're not going to stay here. You know why? Death's on our trail. When I was first born, death was way off. I'm 57, now I turn around. I'm out of breath. <laughs> God quit smoking. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out of breath. And I look, man, death ain't as far behind me as it used to be. But one of these days, he's going to catch me. You know why? I can't stay here. I got to go. My wife and I, we were talking about downsizing the other day and getting a smaller house. And I really want to live up in the mountains. But the thing that bothers me about that is, I got to think, man, if I die, she ain't going to want to live up there with the bears and the skunks. She ain't going to climb that mountain going home every day. See, i got to start thinking about stuff like that now because I'm 57. And I can't stay here. I was telling Seth last night, he said, what you going to do? I said, I don't know, but i got to go. He said, where are you going? I said, i got to go. I'm going to die some of these days. And i got to think about where your mama's going to be. And i got to be careful when we choose her next. I said, you know why? I can't stay here. Hey, you can't stay here. you got to go. One of these days, cancer, heart attack. Stroke, car wreck, stray bullet, wrong drug deal. We got to go. It's going to happen. You can't stay here. I'm appealing to you this morning. Get on the right road that leads to heaven and off the wrong road that leads to hell. Because when it comes to going to heaven, look, it's God's way or the highway. You gotta have Jesus in your heart. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Every head bowed.